God bless you. You're exempt from whatever it is I'm going to require of everybody else. Let's open our Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 16. We're going through the book of Acts, the New Testament book of history that is still being written because the church is still on earth, filled with the Holy Spirit preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 15 is our text. The topic, Paul sets out on his second missions trip and is eventually led by the Holy Spirit to Macedonia where he shares the gospel with Lydia by the river outside of Philippi. The title of our message, The Best Macedonian for the Job is a Woman. Get it? Okay, have you even heard this phrase, the best man for the job? So it was a famous bumper sticker in the 1930s, I think. So anyway. <clears throat> Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Then he came to Derbe, uh, Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul, and when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And so she persuaded us. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful that you've gathered us together here today in your name to reveal more about your love for us. And we pray, Lord, that uh, today we would have that special sense of your presence, that your word would divide between our soul and our spirit, that we would know that we're being spoken to by the Lord, that you would get your message into our hearts. And we'll recognize it, Lord, because it will be full of love and grace and compassion and mercy. It will be full of wonder and wonderful counsel. It will cause us to fall in love with you again and again and again. Lord, if we've grown cold, if we've in any sense left our first love, I pray that you would rekindle our passion this morning, that we would leave this place with the first love of the espousal, the love of the engagement. Whatever we're going through, Lord, I pray that it would pale in comparison to your love for us, that we would cast our cares upon you as the Scripture commands, 
knowing that you care for us. Thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. In 2003, then Security, or excuse me, Secretary of Homeland Security, Tom Ridge, announced the Ready America campaign. It was designed to inform us and prepare us for a chemical, biological, or nuclear attack. The campaign brochure says, preparing makes sense, get ready now. Our text reads like a Christian get ready campaign, only it isn't a disaster that you're to get ready for. It's reaching out with the gospel. We see Paul get ready to reach out to those he will encounter on his second missions trip, and we see that those he encounters have been readied by God to hear the good news that their sins can be forgiven. Preparing makes sense. Let's get ready now. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, get yourself ready to reach out. And number two, reach out to those God has ready. First of all, in verses 1 through 10, get yourself ready to reach out. Obviously, we're picking up the story, and we do so as Paul and Silas set out from Calvary Chapel of Antioch to return to the churches. Well, they found remains uh, there. Uh, The churches Paul and Barnabas established on their first missions trip. First stop on the itinerary, Derbe and Lystra. And so in verse 1, then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him. Because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. We're introduced to Timothy. He was probably saved on Paul's first visit to these cities. Later in the New Testament, we learned that his mother's name was Eunice and his grandmother's name was Lois. It highlights the importance of maintaining a godly home because the text tells us that they were sharing with him the things of the Lord as they knew them from the Old Testament. Timothy is a very important character in the New Testament. Paul credits him with participating in writing six of the New Testament letters. Two additional letters were written to him as a young pastor in Ephesus. The readying of his mom and grandma and his own getting ready put him in a place where he could be used of God. It's a good reminder that readiness begins at home. Your first emphasis in the home towards your kids must be spiritual, to lay a spiritual foundation, to uh, create a spiritual base for them to build upon. I don't think we can ever talk too much about the Lord at home or share too much with our kids. Uh, There's... This kind of crazy idea out in the world that you don't want to brainwash your kids about religion. You want them to make up their own minds. Uh, One thing you don't want them to do is make up their own mind uh, because the world will help them make up their own mind. And I think we see the result and the fruit of that kind of thinking. Uh, You know, this is the truth. Jesus Christ was born. He lived as a man. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he's coming again. It's, it's historical, it's factual, it's spiritual, it's theological. It's what we want to be uh, sharing with our children all the time. Now, people say, well, we don't want to drag our kids to church. Well, then don't drag them to church. Get excited about coming to church. Aren't you excited about coming? I'm excited every Sunday I come to church, and then I'm sad when Sunday's over. And then I'm excited because I get to go to church again on Wednesday, and then I'm sad because Wednesday's over. So I'm really only happy a couple of hours a week. <laughs> 
The rest of the time, I'm really sad. Pam has to drag me out of bed. Honey, Sunday's coming. It's all right, you know. But no, I love going to church, and we always tried to make it fun and exciting to go to church. I mean, you know, it, it, it doesn't have to be that way. And so, you know, get into it. Do anything you can to share the gospel with your children. Hey, the, the little stories that you're sharing with them now out of those little tiny cute Bible books that I read to my granddaughter, you know, there, that is going to be her foundation if we live long enough for when she gets to college if she goes there. And she's going to have that in her heart when her professor looks at her and threatens to flunk her if she doesn't admit that Christianity is false. Uh, you know, this is a real world that we live in where kids are going sideways. There's all kinds of comments in the news this week about what's happening to our kids. Why are they killing each other on campuses and stuff? And people are all afraid to say that it's, it's in the home. It's parenting. The difference is parenting, and Christian parenting ought to be the best parenting that there is. And so make your priorities spiritual. There's a lot of other things your kids need to do and can do, but make sure that they have spiritual priorities in the home. And so uh, Paul felt led to ask Timothy to accompany he and Silas. Tells me that Timothy had made himself ready to be asked. He had no idea Paul was coming back through town. There was no audition for interns for Paul the Apostle. The job wasn't posted on any message board. But when an opportunity came, Timothy was ready to be used by God. Paul didn't have to take Silas aside and say, man, I'd love to ask somebody like Timothy, but man, you know, he's got this one glaring problem in his life or I wish he'd get it together in this one area or I wish he had a better reputation or he's just too entangled in the world right now to leave and go on this trip. He was ready. He didn't know what he was getting ready for. He just kept himself ready. Now, throughout this text, we're going to see that getting ready was a way of life. These guys didn't sit around doing nothing until an opportunity presented itself. They stayed ready at all times and therefore were able to move out when God called them. Timothy wasn't totally prepared. The particular mission he was asked to accompany involved ministry to the Jews. Paul would always go into a region, try and find the Jewish synagogue, preach the gospel there, and he would find converts who were, you know, believing Jews ready for the Messiah. The scripture would open up to them that Jesus was their Messiah, and he would begin to build a church around that group of people. And so they were going out into these areas where he expected to do that again. And since Timothy was half Jewish, Jewish mother, Greek father, any Jew they would encounter would expect him to be circumcised. If not, he would be offensive to them. They would not listen to him. Now, I don't know how they figured out who was and who wasn't circumcised in those days. Maybe they just asked. But it was common knowledge Timothy was of a Greek father and a Jewish mother and that he was not circumcised. Uh, I don't know. But, you, you know, and so Paul takes him aside and he says, listen, I'm going to have to circumcise you. Now, Paul had just played a key role in the church council at Jerusalem where it was decided by the Holy Spirit that circumcision was not necessary for salvation. And so what is this all about? Well, at that council, we also learned that love for others should always govern our behavior. Timothy was saved. He did not need to be circumcised for salvation, but he did need to be circumcised if he wanted to minister the gospel among the Jews. 
And so Timothy was more than willing to undergo circumcision as an adult for the sake of the gospel. He wanted to be ready to reach the Jews. And it begs the question, what am I willing to undergo in order to get ready to tell others about Jesus? Sometimes we are so hesitant to change even small habits in our life. When we first went to Japan in the late 80s, we were invited to come over by Baptist Japanese pastors who wanted to know something about the Jesus movement of the 70s and see, you know, talk to people who had been a part of that or whatnot. Uh, and when we got there, we found that there was a dress code for uh, Japanese Baptist churches. No one would listen to you unless you had a coat and tie on. And I was over there with about, I don't know, 10 or 11 other Calvary Chapel pastors. We split up into teams. You would have thought they were asking us to be circumcised. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, I, I never saw a bunch of guys so resistant to wearing ties in my life. It didn't bother me because I'd grown up as a salesman. I wore ties all the time. Uh, it seems to bother you that I wear a tie, so maybe I should take it off. But anyway, uh, and so, but I'm telling you, these guys, some of them refuse to wear ties. Well, if they want to know about the Jesus movement, we didn't wear ties, you know? And, and I mean, it's just, it was crazy the lengths to which these guys went, uh, you know, to uh, one guy on my team, his technique was to get up with his coat and tie on and then act hot, warm, and ask permission for taking his jacket off. And by the time it was over, his tie was like off to the side. He looked like a crazy drunken man, you know. But he didn't have his tie all the way up, and so it was a moral victory for him. Another pastor years later at a pastor's conference was saying that he had an opportunity to go to minister in Egypt. But the particular time or group, I can't remember the details, but I do remember that he was told at the last minute that he'd have to shave his beard because where he was going, it would offend the people if he was bearded. And he fought it for weeks until finally looking in the mirror, the Lord, you know, just busted him and said, you know, what's the matter with you? And so, I mean, that's, the, that's where we live sometimes. We live at the, well, I don't have to do that. Well, no, of course you don't have to do it. Then don't go to Egypt. Don't go to Japan. Stay at home and comb your beard with a tieless shirt. <laughs> I mean, if that's what turns you on, get up every morning and check out your beard with your shirt, you know, buttoned up. Hey, I'm a Christian, you know, and stuff. I don't know what is happening in Egypt or Japan, but I mean, it's crazy. And so Timothy says, yeah, let's go. Let's do it right away. I'm sure he said, because I'm going to have to heal and, and I want to get this thing going. And so... Verse 4, then they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. Not only could they deliver these decrees, Timothy became a living example. You are saved by grace alone through faith alone. That was Timothy. Didn't need to be circumcised. But once saved, he chose to limit his liberty by love to reach out to the Jews. And so can you imagine now the conversation well, we see that you have Timothy with you. He's that son of a Greek-Jew combination. We understand that he's never been circumcised. Oh, yes, he has. Really? When? Uh, just about a week ago. Why? Because he didn't want to offend you. Because he wanted to come to you in the love of Jesus Christ, and he knew it would offend you 
And so he, he was willing to undergo adult circumcision when he didn't need to? Wow. And so he became an example to those people. I began to think that wherever we are, God sometimes wants to illustrate something through us by using us as an example. And perhaps in some of those situations you have found yourself in or find yourself in right now, where you don't know what is really going on, why is God allowing this? There doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason that you can tell in your life for exactly what's happening. Step back and think now, what's going on that might be an example to others that know what I'm going through right now? How might this be presented by God to them as an example of what it means to be a Christian? Now, they may not see that, but I think God wants to use our lives as an example. We see typologies and examples and illustrations and metaphors and similes throughout the Bible. Jesus is always preaching, and he's pointing to boats and to sowers and to different... And, and your life, it's really kind of exciting to think, hey, I wonder what I am exampling to people. We talk about being a bad example, and sadly, sometimes Christians are. Sometimes everybody is a bad example. It's not just you know, Christians, but this is in the category of the example God wants to make you. And it's like, I can't, that door won't open. I can't get out of here. This is happening. And, and you're right where God wants you to be so that others look on you and see something of his grace and his mercy and his nature revealed in that situation. Now, verse six, now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. The Holy Spirit was forbidding them to go into certain cities. How? Well, it may have been through a gift of prophecy as they prayed together and with the other believers, or it might have been that inner awareness, that still small voice of the Spirit. Or it might have been by outward circumstances where they just couldn't get where they were going to go. I suspected it was a combination of all of those. The point here is that God must direct you in your service. Desire and need are not always indicators of God's leading. I might desire to be involved in a certain ministry or mission, but I am a servant and I must be directed by God. I think a lot of ministries and missions exist that God didn't really direct, but that people wanted to do and, and are doing. There may be a need in some area, whether a real need or a perceived need. Still, I'm not free to meet the need unless and until God directs me. Now, a lot of people get really frustrated with ministry. You hear about people burned out in the ministry losing their families in the ministry. It's because they're meeting every perceived need that comes up. And a lot of times, God has other ways of meeting those needs, other people who will meet those needs. And I, I know you're going to laugh, but more than once I've told somebody who's struggling with something in, a, in the most compassionate way I know how, God is with you in this suffering, and you're just going to have to go through it because evidently he's not taking you out of it. And, and so, you know, there, there are needs sometimes, but what is God doing in that situation? 
If we're not led by the Holy Spirit, we're both established ministries God never ordained, as I mentioned a moment ago, and we're going to overlook serving in ways that he has ordained because we're just not open to him changing us a little bit. We don't like to be reinvented and think about what we're doing. I like being in a groove, don't you? I'm, I am the most habitual person I know. And I'm more habitual than you, and I'm actually on borderline obsessive. If there was such a thing as OCD, I would have it. Well, I'm not sure that there is. But I am an obsessive, compulsive person. I see it in my daughter and my granddaughter now. My poor little granddaughter. We have, you know, one of these crazy kind of, uh, you know, stands for the TV that has doors on it. And so if there's a video on, she can't watch it unless the doors are closed. She's like, gets all fidgety in my lap and runs over and closes the doors and then comes and sits down. Then, of course, I can't adjust it because, you know, the infrared won't go through. But she's, she's kind of compulsive. And I, and I don't know, it's a legacy, I guess. But anyway, so, you know, we like to be habitual. We like to do the same thing and get into a groove, get our groove on. And, and, a lot, and God says, hey, I want to reinvent. I want to change some things here. This, this worked, uh, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, 100 years ago. This is a non-essential. Let's try and do something a little bit different here. And, and it's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm gonna, I'm, I've got OCD. God, you made me that way. So I, this is all I can do. I can only stand right here and do this, you know, and stuff. And so it's crazy. And so we want to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Just spend time with the Lord and be open to it. But we have to be honestly open. Lord, you know, is, do you want me to do something different, really? Now, Paul and his companions did not have to be stirred up to serve. They had to be restrained and then redirected. If I'm not experiencing closed doors, then I'm not really ready to serve. Again, we note that these guys were ready, serving, and staying ready to serve in new fields. So verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia, help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Did you notice that Luke, the author of the book of Acts, said, we sought to go to Macedonia. He became a traveling companion of Paul's at this point. But for these hindrances, Luke may not have become available to join them. Had Paul ignored the closed doors and crashed through them, Luke may not have become the author of the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke. For his part, Luke was ready to leave what he was doing to become a missionary, hang around with the apostle Paul, go back to one of the cities where he had been stoned probably to death. And so we commend Luke. Now, I don't know the extent of his medical practice. Uh, he was a doctor. There's speculation by scholars that he was the private physician of Theophilus, the man to whom he was writing Luke and the book of Acts as a treatise. But, uh, you know, in our world today, the equivalent of it would be a successful doctor in private practice suddenly getting up one morning and saying, I'm giving up my practice to go into missionary medicine. I'm going out and live in, you know, more squalid conditions to help people on the other side of the world. 
and we applaud that. We're excited about that as long as it's not us, uh, you know, kind of a thing. But, but we want to be ready. Now, the thing is, God doesn't call everybody to do that. And this is the scare that, you know, uh, in, in church. It's like, well, I, I don't want to be too available to God because that's exactly what he'll do. I'll have to go to, you know, wherever it is that you don't want to go to. Uh, God, you know, there's this theory about God that wherever you don't want to go to is where he wants you to go. I've heard that before. I said I'd never go to Hanford, and then there I was. <laughs> you know, God made me. I didn't even know Hanford existed, so I can't claim that. But, you know, so, uh, in fact, I didn't know Central California existed, really. I just thought there was Southern California and then other California. But anyway, uh, so... You know, that's not it at all. God, God's, you know, there are some people, but, you know, whenever you hear their testimony, it's a blessing. We showed a little video clip uh, on uh, Wednesday Night Ignite last week of a, an architect in Florida whose life was empty. Christian architect, he was designing hotels and mansions, and God stirred him up to go down to Honduras and be an architect for churches and to help the local people. God's not gonna do that with everybody, but if he does that with you, it's where you want to be. It's going to fill you with joy and the strength of the Lord. And so we just need to become more aware of those kinds of things. Macedonia was in the Roman province of Asia. Uh, scholars tell me it's what we would call Turkey. They set out immediately. You get the idea that their bags were packed. Some of you are on call for your job from time to time. You might even have a ready bag that contains the things you might need. You're ready at a moment's notice to respond. That's the way we want to be ready to serve our Lord. We're living in the last days. The rapture of the church is imminent. Non-believers are all around us. If ever a generation needed to keep a spiritual ready bag, it's ours. Immediately after Homeland Security announced Ready America, Walmart reported a huge increase nationwide in the purchase of things like duct tape, bottled water, and first aid kits. I know my garage is full of those. No, I'm just kidding. Not for long, though, because people over time felt less need to be prepared. It can happen to us as Christians as well. We want to get ready and stay ready, but life starts to interfere. The message today from our text is to maintain a heightened state of spiritual readiness. While I am getting and staying ready, God is readying people I will encounter. Verses 11 through 15, reach out to those God has readied. Every now and then, God seems to be leading in a way that makes you feel something amazing is about to happen. It is, but God's definition of amazing isn't always what we're expecting. We see something like that as the team found themselves in Macedonia. And so in verse 11, therefore sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony, and we were staying in that city for some days. A Roman colony was a city that had been granted special privileges by Rome because of some service it had rendered. In addition, Luke called Philippi the foremost city of that part of Macedonia. It wasn't the capital, but it was the most important city in the region, sort of like Riverdale. I'm always saying something bad about Riverdale, so I thought I'd give him a plug. I think Luke was communicating a buildup the missionaries might have been feeling. God wouldn't let them go here. He wouldn't let them go there. Finally, he calls them to Macedonia and to Philippi, the most important influential city in that region. Wow, what's going to happen? Well, 
On the Sabbath day, they went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who were meeting there. Paul's mission strategy, we touched on it a moment ago, given to him by the Holy Spirit, was to go into the synagogues of the cities he visited and preach to the Jews. But in Philippi, says he went out to the riverside. It meant that there were not even 10 male Jews in Philippi to form even one synagogue. Any Jews who were in the region would gather on the Sabbath at the riverside where there was running water or what they called living water to perform various ceremonial rituals. Paul and company traveled about a mile outside the city and discovered a few women meeting there for prayer. Hey, you know, we have to be careful ascribing motive or, or feelings to, to the, our little missions team here. But, but I think we have a little bit of leeway because we are people of like passions with them. And I, I can at least say how I'd be feeling. When I got to Philippi, I'd get right on, you know, the yellow pages and try and find out where the nearest synagogue was. In fact, I'd want to map out all the synagogues and figure out where we were going to go on subsequent Sabbaths to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it would come as quite a shock that there were no synagogues in Philippi. And so plan B, well, I guess we are going to have to walk a mile outside of town to the river and hope that there's a couple of Jewish men meeting there. And then you get there and you find that there's just a woman in her household. Nothing wrong with the fact that it's a woman, but it's just this one gal in her household. And so it's very, very interesting, God's vision of what is amazing. I mean, I'd be thinking that the whole province is going to get saved because of this amazing vision. The Macedonian man turned out to be a woman. That's another theological dilemma that they, I'm sure they had to work out. Paul, uh, are you sure it was a man from Macedonia, cross-dresser or what? I mean, what do you, you know, how do you know it was a Macedonian man? And so here's this woman. But as we'll see, the best Macedonian for the job was a woman. And so in verse 14, now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Lydia was a traveling saleswoman. Purple dye made from a certain mollusk was extremely expensive. One use of it was for the stripes in the togas of Roman senators. So this was a kind of an exclusive business that she had. Lydia's occupation suggests that she had considerable wealth. Paul joined the worshipers and shared the gospel. The Lord opened her heart and she was saved. I read that to teach that God is busy readying the hearts of non-believers to hear the gospel. Boy, it's a good thing that these guys didn't get discouraged by what God had presented them in their little mission. Uh, you know, I've been on missions trips with people who get discouraged. Uh, I remember one time going on a trip where one individual, young man, he wouldn't come out of his hotel once we got there. It caused me a day of sightseeing to babysit him uh, because he just wouldn't come out of his hotel room. And we didn't feel comfortable leaving him alone in, uh, in that situation. And, and so, you know, uh, it, it can get really discouraging on these kinds of trips. And, and yet Paul... Hey, guy, I know God's called me to Macedonia. Uh, I thought it was a man, but apparently it's a woman. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so let's go down and talk to them about the Lord. And, and he's just dialed in, focused in, and that's the way we need to be. You know, you don't have time to be discouraged. You really don't. And discouragement, I think, is the, is the greatest tool that our enemy has when it comes to ministry. 
And especially in a culture where we value numbers and extravagance and, you know, how big is your church, how many people got saved, how many people attended. This is a dud mission, if you ask me, from those points of view. What, you went to Macedonia, and what happened? Well, what happened in the synagogues? No synagogues. What happened then? We went down to the river and talked to a lady in her household. She sells purple. <laughs> this is crazy stuff. We're excited about it. Wow. Wow, Paul the apostle to be a man, to be Timothy. No, you wouldn't be if you were there. And so that's the thing. We need to get into this and understand that God has his ways. They're not our ways. And so she, her heart had been readied, and they preached to her. The Holy Spirit is active in the world seeking to reveal Jesus to people. Through creation, through conscience, through circumstances, hearts are being readied. All the people we encounter, we might want to consider as being readied by God. We don't know what's going on in their lives or when there might be an opportunity to share how much Jesus loved them at the cross and loves them still. And so in verse 15, and when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. They may have been baptized right then. I, I'm thinking that they were. Baptism was not necessary for salvation, but the first Christians held it in high regard. Her household servants also believed and were baptized. They didn't have any classes. They didn't have any discipleship. Paul just took them at their word that they had received Jesus Christ. Now, sure, there are always going to be people who merely profess to be saved. But I think sometimes we are so skeptical that we make it hard for a person to be saved. This is one of those situations where I would be skeptical. Lydia gets saved, and auto automatically her whole household gets saved. They're just trying to be good servants. They're not really saved. But apparently Paul didn't feel that way or think that way. Now, maybe there were some phenomena that, that aren't being recorded, but I, I take this to mean that we should just take a person at their word. It's not easy to believe. When you ask somebody to raise their hand, hey, well, you, do you believe that you're a sinner in need of God's salvation? Raise your hand, come forward, pray the sinner's prayer. Is all of that genuine all the time? No. But that's a, a, a decision and, and a transaction that goes on between each individual heart and the Lord. Why criticize uh, what's going on because it isn't always... Uh, and, and I've been with people who, like, really make it hard. We had a guy at one church one time, and uh, you'd come forward for the altar call, and then he'd say, if you got him as a counselor, he would convince you you're probably not really saved because you don't really know what you're talking about. You need to go and consider the real claims of Jesus Christ. You know? and then you've got these guys uh, you know, who go down to the Harvest Crusade in Anaheim in, in, every year who have their own version of the gospel. They don't believe Greg Laurie is preaching the real gospel, the full gospel, which excludes most people from salvation and only picks a, a few chosen. And so they flyer and leaflet your car with their, you know, hey, what happened in there isn't real and it's crazy and, you know, it's all emotion and that kind of a thing. It's just sad, really, that we can't just get excited that a person might actually get saved. This is great. Let's encourage them. Let's say, hey, you just prayed to receive Christ. Here's what should be happening in your life right now. Read this. It's the four spiritual laws. And, and take this book on what you should do now. And, and I'm going to talk to you every day until we get this all worked out. So let's get into it a little bit. And so they all got baptized. Now, Lydia was quite the saleswoman. The question she asked Paul and company was persuasive. 
It was like the close of a sales call. You salespeople, you know what I'm talking about. You have that technique, that close that you, you build up to it. I've had over the years, because I used to be a salesman, and uh, even people that you're really close friends with, we were talking about this just last night, you're really close friends with them, they still get into salesman mode when they're, you know, they're like, then it's like, and then they're, and they, they do their clothes on you. I mean, you've already decided. I remember when we were leaving San Bernardino to move to Hanford, I picked a realtor from our fellowship who I'd known for years. He used to be a client of mine. We wanted to list our house and, um, you know, because we were moving up here and, and he came in and I said, hey, let me, let me just stop you right now. You don't need to say anything. I'm going to list my house with you right now. And uh, so just give me the paperwork, let's do it. And he goes, oh, that's really cool. And then an hour later, he had gone through his listing presentation. And he's just like trained and dialed in. And I was like, I'm going to die, you know, and stuff. I mean, please let me just sign it. Please, I already, I don't need to be sold this, you know. I, I want it. And so it was crazy. And so she, she gets into this. And what a question. If you have judged me faithful to the Lord, if I'm genuine, if my conversion is genuine, Come to my house. Oh, what are you going to say? I'm, I'm sure Paul and company wanted to go and hang out and have some comfort and all that, but this is just really interesting. And just on a separate note, it shows us that God can use us no matter how we've been trained or grown before. I mean, he wants to use all those things in our life. And so she began immediately serving the Lord. That's the more important thing to note, in her case, through hospitality. Once saved, a new believer needs to begin to associate with Christians and get involved with them. People ask me all the time, how do I discover my spiritual gift? And, and the, the quick and easy answer is, get involved with Christians, and the love of Jesus Christ will flow through you to them, and you'll find yourself ministering in certain ways that can be identified in Scripture as a spiritual gift. Paul was ready, so were Silas and Timothy and Luke. Lydia and her household were readied. The convergence brought salvation and joy and glory to God. And so, stepping way back from this passage of Scripture, that's the two dynamics that I see happening. People who are ready to reach out and people who've been readied to receive the gospel. You are on a more informal but no less important mission. Unless you've totally ignored the Lord, you're probably in your Philippi, where you live, where you work, where you go to school. All of those places are Philippi to you in the sense that God has opened those doors. I've talked to people before here in the military. Well, you know, the military sends me here and there. No, they don't. God knows you're in the military. He opens doors and closes doors. Sure, you're more restricted to where you're going to be sent, but that was part of the initial decision, and God's got all that covered. And so if you're somewhere, unless you're really a Jonah-type char character and you're swimming in a whale this morning, I mean, then you're probably right where God wants you to be. That's your mission. That's what we've been emphasizing throughout the book of Acts. That's your Philippi, as it were. And if you're ready, then the people around you are ones that God is readying and there will be a, a convergence at some point with one or more of them where they see the example in your life or you're able to share with them how much Jesus loved them at the cross and loves them still. Let's pray. Father, how gracious you are to uh, use us 
to talk to others about the issues of life and death and eternity. You've given us authority on your behalf to tell people that their sins can be forgiven, that they can be born again, that they can live forever. We appreciate that, Lord, and we want to take it to heart. Lord, each of us that's a believer this morning, there's no doubt that we want to share our faith. That's not the problem. Uh, we're asking you, Lord, to open more doors. If, if doors aren't being closed and opened, then maybe we do need to take a look at our own lives and discover if uh, perhaps we're not as ready as we need to be. Not, not in the sense of knowledge or uh, theology or things like that, but just ready to say yes to you, ready to heed the prompting of your Holy Spirit, to listen to the still, small voice and obey it. But having said that, Lord, once we're ready, I pray that you would bring to us people you are readying. Maybe they're people we've known for years and have given up on or think that they would never get saved. Oh, Lord, I'm so glad that you didn't give up on me, that you waited patiently and brought me to a place, Lord, where I could see that I was a sinner in need of salvation. And I pray, Lord, that we would have a heightened understanding of the last days in which we live, the short time in which we have, and that you would bring all of this together where we live and work and play. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand together. You know, in every church, there are people who, as they just serve the Lord, they should sense that God wants to do something more with them. And by more, I mean something where, you know, they're just not satisfied where they're at. God wants to open a door, send them somewhere where we would consider it a real sacrifice. And we've seen that over the years. There's many testimonies that, that I could give you, but uh, just be open to that. Because if you are that person, that's the place where you're going to know the joy of the Lord. And it won't seem like a sacrifice, it will seem like a blessing. At the same time, it's true that the vast majority of Christians in churches, God already has them right where He wants them. They're doing what He wants them to do, earning a living, enjoying that, because there is a great field uh, all around them in their neighborhood, where you work, where you go to school, all of those things. And for us, we just want to be praying for the people around us that God would ready their hearts and that they would engage us or we, they, in conversations that could revolve around Jesus Christ so that they could have their deepest needs met, so that that pain and that anguish and that agony that they feel, that emptiness that they have, can be met with the love of God. God's not putting any burdens on us. If anything, He's giving us blessings. He fills us with His Spirit. He anoints us by His Spirit. He baptizes us with His Spirit. Uh, I think sometimes we just need to be aware that He really, really does want to use us and that we really, really can be used of Him. May God bless you and keep you. The guys are up here to pray with you. If you're here this morning trying to make a decision about something, you're struggling with anything at all, come forward and let's pray for you. God bless you. See you Wednesday night.